This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse verse 43, I'm going to read through verse uh, 49. This is God's Word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the other one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. Would you do the invisible miracle of regeneration this morning in the hearts of those that are here that don't know you? Would you give them a heart of flesh? Lord, would you do the comforting work for those among us that need the comforting grace of the sustaining grace that's found in you in the gospel through life's storms. And Lord, would you wake some of us up who are sliding to destruction under the banner of Jesus in Christianity. We pray that you would do your work now. We're so utterly dependent on you. So we pray that by the Spirit, you would reign now in this place. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. This morning is our fourth sermon on Jesus' sermon. His sermon on the plain here in chapter 6. And we've been arguing that This sermon is not the same word-for-word sermon that we find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, but a different sermon delivered on a different occasion, but with much of the same material. Jesus, if you remember, has his 12 apostles surrounding him. He's just called them to himself, and then he's also surrounded by committed disciples who are seeking to follow him and love him, and then also interested, curious kind of onlookers who are walking by and are listening to Jesus. But they all came to hear him, verse 18. 
And then notice that Luke uses a similar phrase to close out the the sermon in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. And it's like a bookend there. That shows us kind of the, 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 the beginning and the end of this sermon. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus addresses these three crucial steps for every disciple. First, we must come to Jesus. We must come to him in faith. Trusting, we know, trusting his righteous life lived in our place, his death on the cross for us, his resurrection from the grave to give us new life. Friends, the gospel is the source and strength of the Christian life. We need to come to Jesus for salvation. But we also see the importance here of coming to listen to Jesus, to hear Jesus. His words are life-giving words. He's he's a new, as we've said, better Moses who speaks God's word to his people. So right now, we're obeying Jesus by sitting down, closing our mouths, opening our ears and our Bibles, and listening to his word as it's preached to us. But Jesus calls us to more than just hearing. Maybe you've had this experience, parents asking your children to clean their rooms And they respond with a loud and clear, I hear you. I got you. Or even as Francis Chan said, thanks for that, Mom. I've actually memorized what you said and wrote it down. I can recite it back to you. But they haven't actually done what you've called them to do. They haven't actually obeyed. No, we're called to come to Jesus, hear Jesus, obey Jesus. John Bunyan in his... uh, famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, writes of a conversation that Christian and faithful, remember those characters, have with another man whose name is Talkative. Christian warns faithful of this man at one point. This is what he says. He talketh of prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of the new birth, but he knows but only to talk of them. The soul of religion is the practice part He thinks that hearing and saying will make a good Christian, and he deceives his own soul. Hearing is but as the sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and life. And let us assure ourselves that at the day of doom, men shall be judged according to their fruits. The end of the world is compared to our harvest, and you know men at harvest regard nothing but fruit. Not anything that can be accepted that is not a faith. And so at the end of Jesus' sermon, he addresses both our words and our actions. How we respond to his teaching. Last week we saw Jesus' strong words against judgmentalism and hypocrisy. It's like the blind leading the blind. Both will fall into the pit of hell. Instead, he says we should first examine our own life and then help our brother and sister. Remove the log in your own eye first. So the tone has been of introspection, reflecting on our own lives in obedience to Jesus so that we might be used of him to help others follow Jesus. And I think that tone carries over into the conclusion of his sermon here on the plain where he just focuses on these two powerful analogies. For the Christian life of fruits and foundations. And that's the title for this sermon of fruits and foundations. And the main point is this. Our external behaviors 
our words and our actions point to the true condition of our hearts. Our external behaviors, words and actions, point to the true condition of our hearts. So the text breaks down this way, and if you're taking notes, two parts. Two parts. The first thing we're going to see is that our words reveal our hearts. We see that in verses 43 to 45. Our words reveal our hearts. And then secondly, our actions reveal our allegiance. Our actions reveal our allegiance, verses 46 to 49. Jesus has a way of exposing all of our attempts to hide. To seem like we are something that we're not. And that is ultimately a mercy. Because he is calling us now to himself. He is on a rescue operation for sinners who like to hide, like Adam. To save us from ourselves. And friends, he is the only solution to be made new in him. So let's come to Jesus. Let's listen to what he says and seek to obey. Especially as it relates here, number one, first, to our words and our hearts. Number one, our words reveal our hearts. As we've gone through the sermon, we've tried to root the commands Jesus has given so far, these radical commands of love your enemies and, and see the world in this new way where he is our king and we're not rooting those in these verses, verses 43 to, 30 to 45. So all of our actions and behaviors, thoughts, words flow from, these verses teach, the condition of our hearts. So all of the things he's been calling us to, living by the golden rule, treating others how we want them to treat us, giving abundantly, those are all flowing from this kind of heart that's been made new. Not perfect, but been made new, alive. And that's the point of this tree fruit analogy that he makes. Let's look at it again. Verse 43, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. So he's taking a lesson from horticulture and applying it now to humanity. A tree always bears fruit of its kind. So he just lays it out. You don't pick figs from thorn bushes ever. You don't find figs ever on a thorn bush. You don't pick grapes from a bramble bush. So we can remember the principle that Jesus is teaching this way. Simply, the fruit reveals the root. The fruit of the tree reveals the root of the tree, the type of the tree. And then as we're thinking about humanity, we're thinking about our own hearts, we can define fruit by our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Those things are windows, those actions are windows into the condition of our hearts. And Jesus here is going to focus particularly on one of those three, our words. Our words. Notice there again in verse 45, he gives you this analogy between the tree and its fruit. And then he's got that word for, verse 45, for. That means he's giving us, he's been, he's been giving us an idea 
And now he's going to explain the idea. He's going to give the reasoning behind the idea. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The, the mouth gives voice to what's in our hearts. The fruit reveals the root. And so that means there's a direct connection between the people that we are on the inside and the lives that we live on the outside. We will produce the kind of fruit that it is in our nature to produce. So the reason we say and do the things that we say and do is because that is who we are. We often, I often, will try to separate this reality. Separate my heart, which is this thing you don't understand, you don't know, you can't see. It's invisible. Don't judge what's in my heart for my actions. So I say things like this. We say things like this. I didn't mean what I said. I did not mean to say that. I didn't mean it. That's not really me. That, what I did, was out of character for me. He's a really good kid deep down. I know he's done these things and I know he's on this path and he's X, Y, but he's deep down, he's a really good kid. It helps us to feel better. But it's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says there's a way to know someone's heart. Listen to their words and observe their actions. We can be quick to to blame others, blame circumstances for our response. You made me so angry. You made me angry, and that's why I did what I did. Or it was the alcohol that, that, that caused me to do that. Or if you would just behave, I wouldn't have to yell at you. I'm just so stressed. And so, X, Y, Z. Paul Tripp is helpful here in his word, his book, War of Words. War of Words. He says this. It's very tempting to blame others or to blame the situation around us, but but word problems reveal heart problems. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. It's very convicting. I do think the emphasis here in Luke is slightly different from Matthew's emphasis, which is identifying, judging, false teaching. Here, Jesus' focus seems not to be on examining the fruit of others primarily. Certainly, we ought to do that. We should do that. We can do that. But our own, at least primarily. Doing beam research, as we said. Looking for the log in our own eye. And friends, we should let this reality, the connection between our heart and our words, drive us to Christ, drive us to the gospel. It can be confusing if we don't think about this in light of the new covenant in the gospel. I think especially because he says there in verse 45, who is this good person that that from him flows good words? We know who the evil person is, but who's this good person? Well, the Bible does teach us, doesn't it, that the heart is sick and desperately wicked. It's dead. It's numb to God. A heart of stone 
an idol factory, a throne for the worship of self. But friends, Jesus does not leave our hearts unchanged when we come to him in faith. He hasn't come to motivate us. Not to lead a Christian pep rally. That we might try harder and do better. That is not good news. We might get excited at first. But over time, that is terrible news. We need a much more radical transformation than that. And that only comes through the new covenant promise of being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to the way that promise is, is, is given first in the Old Testament. I'll, just, I'll mention one place in Ezekiel 36, verse 25. This promise from God to this stubborn, obstinate people, Israel. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You're failing to obey this old covenant. Here's what's coming in the new covenant. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That sounds like good news. That God would be the actor. That God would come and invade my life. And he would do the saving. He would do the replacing. The causing. That's good news. That's the passage Jesus points Nicodemus to in John 3. Is that passage in Ezekiel. You must be born again, Jesus says. John 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that water that sprinkles you, that cleanses you, that Ezekiel promised, this new covenant promise and regeneration and the Spirit, the Spirit coming to live inside of you, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is is spirit. Believer, you have this if you're a Christian here today. You have this new covenant reality in your life. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are born again. We're given new eyes to see and a heart to believe, and we do. Suddenly, Jesus matters to us. He's more than just what our parents or grandparents talk about. He matters To me, he's more than just someone in books that I've read about or a cultural reality that I see people talking about. He's beautiful, beautiful, righteous. And I'm coming to him in faith in trust completely. Friend, I hope you see your need for Jesus. I hope you would come to him in faith. Because if you do, he'll give you a new heart. And that heart will produce good fruit. That tree that's remade will produce good fruit. He'll take you from being dead to being made alive. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. It's by grace you have been saved, he says in in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So these good works flow out of regeneration, this, this life that's been transformed and changed.
These, these things look like this. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who have belonged to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hear that. The fruit is of the Spirit, not of you. Fruit of the Spirit. There's been a new tree planted, a holistic transformation. And it is now bearing good fruit. Jesus changes us from the inside out. But as long as we are in this body and we live in this world Sin remains. We live in a sinful world. Sin remains in our heart, in our lives. But now there's a difference. We realize it. We see it. And we repent. We notice the dark leaf on our tree when it sprouts. And it's not consistent with the lush, bright fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And when we notice it, we don't pretend that it's not there or explain it. Away, we hate it. We want to pick it and get rid of it and turn from it. And we do that by the conviction of the Holy Spirit with the help of others. So when we're confronted about our sinful words, which we spoke in anger or hatred, to injure someone else, to hurt someone else, our our, our response should be not making excuses, not blaming Not saying it's not really me, but saying, you know what? That really is me. God is working on me for that thing, that sin that just came out. Usually I'm much better at hiding it. But now it's been exposed. And it's not you, it's me. I was angry. I know that I said you made me angry. But really it's because I'm angry. I'm angry at a lot of things at life that I treated you this way. It's not the circumstance, but my sinful heart. Prepare yourself for an Avengers reference. You know the part in the original Avengers where it's the battle in New York and this huge alien is coming. And here comes Dr. Banner. He's not as the Hulk. He's just Dr. Banner coming up on his little bike. And everybody's like, hey, this would be a good time for you to get angry. Usually from this point on, he gets angry when people hurt him. They shoot him, and he falls down a cliff, and then he turns into the Hulk. But then he just turns and says, actually, my secret is I'm always angry. And he goes and kills the alien. I think that's a great picture of what Jesus is saying. The heart is there. It's from the heart. Avengers reference over. If you're a parent, what a crucial principle to think about. Can't we just totally rule out excuses now? Excuses for our sinful behavior? Can't we just rule those out biblically? Expose them? And I'm talking about for ourselves as well. As attempts to dodge responsibility, shift blame, and instead focus on, aim for the heart and all that we're, we're seeking with our children and in our own lives. That's where we'll see true life change. Not through just changing behavior. And that applies in all of our personal ministry. We're ministering to someone with a, a drug addiction who's got homosexual desires or is, lust is out of control, anger is out of control. We need to see that as a leaf on the tree. 
and not focus everything we have, all of our energy, on that one leaf. This person is a person. What are they rooted in? What's the life-giving uh, supplement that's, 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 that's giving an, animating their life? Is it Christ or is it self? So yeah, we're not the morality police. We're, we share the gospel that changes lives. So J.C. Ryle says it this way. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living wickedly, and they, that they have good hearts at bottom. Such notions, notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. Is the general tone of a man's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godless, or profane? Then let us understand that it is the state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, it is absurd, no less unscriptural, to say that his heart is right. James warns us, James 1.26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion, religion is worthless. Worthless. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So friend, what do your words say about your heart? Especially those unguarded, unprepared for words. One author said that the tongue is like the sound system for the heart. Whatever's in our souls gets amplified through our words. But word problems reveal heart problems. And that's where Jesus wants us to focus. He wants our hearts so that he can have all of us. Everything else will follow. So does Jesus have your heart? Does he have your heart? If he does, it's going to show in your words, and it will show in your actions. That's the second observation. Number two, our actions reveal our allegiance. A young Korean man went to visit um, the man who led him to Christ earlier in his life, and he said, he was excited, he said, I've been memorizing some verses from the Bible that I want to share with you. And the man was happy to sit and listen to this man quote, without error, the entire Sermon on the Mount. He quoted it to him perfectly. He had been working on it. And he listened and commended him for his work, but then he warned him to be sure not only to say the Scriptures, but to practice them. And the young man responded this way. He said, oh, that is the way I learned them. I tried to memorize them on their own, but they weren't sticking. So I made a plan. First, I would learn a verse. Then I would go practice that verse on a neighbor. After that, I found I could remember them. I don't know if that's what your scripture memory plan looks like. It's a little different than mine. He heard the teaching of Jesus, and then he learned it by doing it through his obedience. We're still, we're still early on in Jesus' ministry here, but notice here in Luke 6, someone's already calling him Lord. Lord. And already there's a disconnected understanding for what that means. So Jesus asked this penetrating question. I have a list of prayer cards at home on note cards. This verse is on there. Every week I want to look at this verse, pray through this verse. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Every time I read it, I feel like I can just hear Jesus speaking to me. So to refer to someone as Lord 
That is a term of complete submission and dedication. But to repeat it, Lord, Lord, is to give even more emphasis on this person's just commitment to this teacher. And yet, there were already some in this crowd that were following Jesus in name only, connected to Jesus in name only. They heard but did not obey. And friends, let's, let's be clear. Any teaching that would suggest Jesus doesn't require obedience for his followers is unbiblical. If we have in our, in our mind that, that I can have, be in a state where I'm good with God because I think Jesus is who he says he is, but I live the way that I want to live, if we, if, we, if we think that, we, we, we need to be confronted with God's word. That's not what Jesus, Jesus is not calling us to get fire insurance. If we don't go to hell and then we can live for ourselves. He's calling us to trust him as Savior and Lord. Listen to the connection that he makes. Just a few verses from John 14 and 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He is, is he that loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So it's, so it's clear, isn't it? Jesus isn't saying just say that you love me. You should say that. You should confess that, Romans 10, 9. Don't just sing that you love me, but love me by obeying me, by doing what I've called you to do. Some of us have driven a wedge between love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus because, of, because we're, we're thinking in terms of grace and if I have to obey, there goes grace. But friends, we want to just listen to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. It's not your obedience that saves you. It's the evidence that you love the one who has saved you. You're not going to obey your way to heaven. God saves sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that faith is never alone. It will always be accompanied by obedience to Christ. And even that obedience comes through faith. It is a gift of God. Paul refers, it, refers to it as the obedience of faith in Romans 1.5. So Jesus is Lord. He will accept no other place in the believer's life. Not life coach, not motivational speaker, not merely an example to follow when it's convenient. He is either your king or your judge. Unless we reach a point of actually doing what Jesus says, we are not followers of Christ in any sense. So we must come to Jesus, we must listen to Jesus, we must obey Jesus. We must give our lives to him for his glory. So, friend, if you find yourself here lacking in this department, what a grace to be here today and to hear the call from Jesus. 
to know that it's not Christianity to say that you're a Christian but have your life void of Christ. That's not Christianity. We may be able to to make it look like it's Christianity for a while. But eventually our true condition will be exposed. That's the point of this next parable. So look there at verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. There's two builders in this parable. Um, if you were to walk by and see them working on their houses, you might not be able to tell the difference if you're not in construction. But there's a big difference. The first one hears the words of Jesus and does the words of Jesus. He doesn't just go to church and listen and go home and live the same as always, unchanged, unmoved. He obeys. He takes on board all that Jesus is saying. Think about what Jesus has been saying, friends, over this past month. that We've been looking at this one sermon. Having a godly perspective. Knowing that you're rich, even if you're poor, you can be blessed Even in your weeping, you can rejoice when you're persecuted and rejected. And otherworldly love, loving your enemies that hate you and exclude you, giving to those who don't deserve it, showing mercy like the Father has shown you mercy, taking that on board and then seeking to, by God's grace, work it out when it happens in your life, when hate rises in your heart against someone who's done something for you. Instead of acting on it, repenting and responding in love. Building on the rock is costly. It's it's time-consuming. It takes discipline to stay with it and not to give up. You can throw a house up in a few days. It's possible. But if you want that house to last, to be sturdy. It must have the foundation that takes this time and energy and commitment. And friends, it's no different in following Jesus. To work at understanding the scriptures, to be patient in persevering in prayer, to courageously seek to put to death sinful desires, to surrender to Jesus. I surrender all. We all sang that. What a bold thing to to, to sing. To sacrifice ourselves for others. That is living by faith. Living by faith in Jesus. Dying to ourselves daily. That's building our house on the rock. So these two houses look the same at first glance. But when the storm comes, everything then becomes clear. The storm, there are are two storms I think to think about when you're reading this passage. The first is just things in life. Circumstances in your life that happen, that come your way. Trouble is the test. Trouble is the test. Flash floods were a, few, uh, a huge uh, danger in the desert, especially if you're near mountains. Rains fall in the higher elevations, and then water just gushes down through the riverbeds into the villages without warning, and devastation happens. And when that comes and you don't have a foundation a solid foundation, your house collapses instantly and you're, you're in ruin. But not this house. 
This foundation is solidly built on Jesus Christ, and it will not be moved. And so the trials in life, they don't create saving faith. They simply reveal it. This house that's built on Jesus can and will be battered by the storm, maybe torn apart, but it will not fall. It will not collapse because Jesus is the foundation. Friend, no other foundation will hold when your children and spouse die, when your parents die, when the money runs out, when the ache of loneliness will not go away, when the depression is crippling, only Christ will hold. And he will hold you fast. He will be enough for you, no matter the situation. Cling to Christ. Build your house on Christ. Not on the sand. That's what the second builder does. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them, these words, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I just think we should note, this is the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. Sometimes pastors, usually pastors, like to conclude on a word of comfort, a high note. Just notice, that is not what Jesus does. He concludes on a word of warning. Friends, that should get our attention. If you only hear the words of Jesus and don't act on them, if you're a Christian in name only, if Christ has no part in your actual life, day in, day out, this is you. This is what you're headed for. Destruction. When, when life hits you, when tragedy and loss hit, you'll be, you'll be washed away. Or, if somehow you make it through life unscathed, the greatest trial awaits on Judgment Day. That's the second kind of storm that I think is alluded to here. The floodwaters of God's judgment. When Matthew speaks of it, he records this in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you'd only be able to fake it for so long. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. This is not here to scare us, Christians. If you're a believer here this morning, linger on the promises that say Jesus will not let any of his children slip through his hands. This is not aimed at the believer who has a sensitive conscience, always doubting whether or not your obedience and your service to Christ is enough, if you're worthy enough for the gospel. Brother or sister, find rest in Christ and his work for you. That's the bedrock of your faith. Nothing you do or don't do is going to change that. Non-Christians don't agonize whether or not they're truly worthy to be followers of Christ. But friend, if you're playing games... If you're trying to live for yourself 
under the banner of Christianity, if you're, 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 you are building on sand. And your foundation will be exposed, either in this life or in the next. That is an iron-clad promise from Jesus. So, come clean to Jesus today. That's your call. Don't just call Him Lord. Submit to Him as Lord. Follow Him as Lord. Give Him your life. All of your life. That there would be nowhere in your life that you would look to Jesus and say no. Give Him everything. Because one day, you and all of us will see Him as He is. He is Lord. And one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our actions reveal our allegiance to our Lord now. The truest profession of our faith is the practice of our faith. Right before James warns us about the destructive nature of the tongue, where you're deceiving yourselves, this is how he summarizes, I think he summarizes this sermon right here in James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away. And once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, friend, don't walk away today forgetting the words of Jesus. Consider your words. Consider your actions. Consider his lordship in your life. Persevere. Persevere in faithful obedience to Christ and be blessed in your doing. Build your life on the rock. Not a rock, the rock. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the only foundation. There is no other. There is no other hope. So come to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Hear Jesus. Obey Jesus. Let's pray. So, Lord, I just put myself right now into a, in a chair uh, in this room hearing from you and, and needing to be acknowledging what's, what's been said. Lord, your words are powerful and they shine a light on our hearts in areas that we would wish no one would see, but we know that you do. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would give us the grace to respond rightly. That you would show us the amazing, life-giving peace and comfort that there is in you. There's no one that can snatch us out of your hand. That salvation is holy of grace. And Lord, we pray that we would live lives that demonstrate how much we've been loved and that our obedience to you would be a great joy and that our words would be an overflow of a heart that is full with Christ, full of the gospel. Lord, that we would be 
It would be a regular thing for us to be repenting of words and actions that don't line up. Let us be regular in that. Let us humble ourselves regularly before our children, before our family, and all our relationships, and continue to look to you. Continue to seek to build everything on the rock. So Lord, we pray that you would do this, that you would, by your Spirit, work this in the hearts of your people for your glory. We ask in in Jesus' name. Amen.